Welcome to Wisco Dice. Welcome to Wisco Dice. Hey, yo, folks, it's Kondu Most, your host. Uh, one of your hosts, anyways. I have been joined by my fellow co host and illustrious world or soon to be world traveler. Dun dun dun. I'm here, Brian. Yo, yo, yo. Ben was mentioning my exotic trip to Germany. Yeah, yeah, we were just chatting about that, so I get I can't help be, but just be super jealous about that, man. I'm I'm really stoked for you, and hopefully, uh, with any good luck, you'll meet some German Warhammer players. Yeah, I'm definitely gonna stop in. I've never actually been to a GW store either, so I'll probably stop in there at some point. And then there's some other local store, but yeah, I was hoping to catch some gamers, whether Bolt Action or. Warhammer or something, and Age of Sigmar supposedly comes out while I'm there, so I'm going to have to see if I can check that out somehow. Get yourself a copy of the rulebook in German? Yeah, that'll... <laughs> Be like, I can bring, it back to, bring it back to the States, where none of us over here speak more than one language, pretty much, and you just go, nope, nope, it says the rules are this in this book. In my I'm copy... <laughs> I'm actually going as part of a German, a course in German. I know very little German already, so... That'd be a pretty tough job trying to read Warhammer rules. They're hard enough in English. <laughs> well, I, I I can't imagine that the uh, the uh, issues with verbiage get any better, whether it's in German or English. So yeah. probably not. <laughs> German's pretty similar, so probably has all the same problems. And of course, as we all know. No rule set is ever completely perfect. So whether it's Games Workshop or anybody else's, it's always it's always something in that catch point two in the in the verbiage and the language of the rules that defeat the intent. For sure. So what do we intend to cover today, Brian? Uh, a couple things uh, we had just recently done. You probably saw it on the blog or heard us talk about it before. There was a big kind of end times chaos campaign we had going at the store we've been playing that i think it was an eight week campaign and then uh maybe mentioning a mega battle coming up to finish it off that's going to be this weekend and we'll probably see a blog post about that after it happens and then also we have uh gaming spotlight and we're going to talk about dreadball we've mentioned that on the show before i don't think we ever gaming spotlighted it but um yeah, I had a chance to play it and ben you've played it a few times so yeah. Some things to talk about there. Yeah, I think it's uh, about time we talk about Dreadball. It's been out for quite a long time, and we've never really covered it on the show or talked a whole lot about it, uh, largely because you've been we've been kind of anticipating finally getting you a game. You know, hey, both of us played Blood Bowl and love the dickens out of that, so hopefully kind of neat and interesting to talk about as well. We've got the news. So let's start out with the news with just kind of catching up with folks. It's been a while since we recorded. So what have you had on the hobby table? Yeah, I don't even remember what I would have said last time. It probably was the same thing I'm going to say this time. The same mystery project? Same conversion project. I've probably been six months at least now, maybe more than that. But I'm hoping to have it done for this weekend. I should probably set it as... I'll say right now, it's going to be done this weekend. I can, tell, I can tell you, I saw the tail. I, can, I know it's got a tail. <laughs> I've got the old world. What it is regarding our rules and stuff like that, but it should be out and about. You'll see it in the blog pictures, and then I'm going to try and do a sum up post similar to my other like conversion with the black coach. Yeah. Hopefully, people like it. I'm kind of sick of it, being that I've been looking at it and futzing with it for so long. It's kind of worn. It's <laughs> cool off with me, but hopefully it's still cool. And then, also, I've been assembling some bolt action again, finally. I've been putting, like, the gear on what are to be my rangers, so they can get primed, and then still trying to paint some guys up. I don't have my first run done quite yet of bolt action guys, but that's just something else I'm working on. Pretty quick and easy to pick up, but I've been putting a lot of time into this conversion, so once that's done, it'll kind of open up some more time. Yeah, I think every time we've talked and been on a hobby hangout, it's been nonstop work on that single figure. Yeah, so I've been kind of working on 
just some various projects, mostly since I think uh, last time we talked, uh, I think I, was, I think I had started working on the bolt action Soviets army. That is now, I wouldn't say complete, I've got tons and tons of models yet to go and fiddle with, but I've got a fieldable thousand points, which is pretty cool. Uh, yeah, that's pretty awesome. did that really fast. I got a chance to demo Saga as well, the like, Dark Age Viking game. I gotta say, I, I found that interesting. The model count is particularly lower as well, so uh, it's is that kind of... Skirmish? I'm not familiar with it's, that. It's kind of a skirmish. You have, like, you have some squads. You have basically units of, like, 12, 8, or 4 guys, and then one, like, Viking Lord, or whatever your Lord of your whatever faction you are, if you're Normans or Saxons or Vikings or whatever. They're all pretty much in the game. It tends to be in the in the. It, it, they have like some rules for how you how you buy like uh, twelve. Basically, twelve guys or when you buy like a squad of twelve guys, those are your like most inexperienced, probably hardest to get activations. It's kind of a neat game. You roll some dice and then you use those dice to kind of. With, they have special symbols on them that are based on your faction, so it kind of makes you feel like you're the Viking dice have like Viking. Uh, runes or sigils on them, and they Norse uh, like Norse sigils on them, and then I think the Irish or whatever have have more of a, a Celtic one, and the Normans have like more of shields and horses and stuff on theirs dice. So it's kind of gives you a feel of the of the faction you're playing when you toss your dice, and then the different symbols match up on your player board for certain actions that you can do and special powers you can activate. So. You can you, you certainly want to activate squads to like make them move and attack and whatever, and so you can dedicate dice to that. And then, but then you might have might want to have some special powers. You might want to sit on some special powers because you know your opponent's going to assault you maybe next turn, and you want to have some defensive powers set set and spent. So it's kind of an interesting little take. But after the demo, I bought all, I bought all the rule books, or I bought a couple of rule books, I bought a couple of sets of the fancy dice. And I've got a box of uh, Gripping Beast Vikings plastics, so uh, I'm gonna get us get that built up, and then I'm gonna go dig around in like my old Bretonian stuff because I think the old Brats do some really good like Normans, those old metal like metal and bread horses and whatever. So I'm gonna do them up as well for so I'll have like a couple of factions to be able to demo the game for some folks. I see. I also I think got into. If I wasn't already into it much, I got into Drop Zone Commander, kind of when in this last break. So I got the you know sitting around looking for something different to kind of paint up while I was working on the Soviets, and I'm like, oh hey, here's this the starter box for you uh, for the United Colonies of Man or UCM. Painted that up, and I went, oh, this is kind of cool. Watching videos, like, oh, this is really cool. Uh, if I'm ever going to get anybody else to play this game with me, I bet as well just order the two-player starter. So I ordered that, painted up the uh, Scourge for the two-player starter, and we actually got a couple of intro games the other day where I think we messed up about four billion rules, but we got the gist of the game and also lit, lit up my excitement uh, some more. So I've got more models now for it and some ideas and thoughts on how I'm going to play that. And looking forward, kind of trying to line up uh, some extra games for that. The big thing here for me, hobby-wise, is that I haven't been doing a lot of work on anything Warhammer-orientated. Although I did have a pile of dwarfs I've been rebasing for uh, my Blood in the Sun army. That's going to be this week, coming weekend. So I have no idea if I'm actually going to get that finished in time. I've definitely not been working on things lately, or as fastly, as fast as I could have been, but that goes into part of the reason why I think we've had such a long break. So I think also on the last show, as far as news is concerned, we talked a little bit about me going in for surgery, didn't we? I think so. Um, I can't remember. It's so long. I probably yeah, it has been. You listened to the show, and it would have told me. <laughs> yeah, I, I had... Uh, I had surgery on my right arm, and that went very well. Feeling much better, but there's uh, yeah, you recovered really quick. Yeah, you know, it's still a recovery process. And 
Um, Things slow you down. Some days are are better than others, um, but it, yeah, definitely since the surgery, I really haven't done a whole ton on hobby. Other news, I think we got the big bombshell. Did we? Yeah. Some of it we got the. We know it's coming. What What do we know is coming? Some guy. Some guy. It's gonna, to, it's gonna be a whole age about some dude. An age, an age of Sigmar. Is that Is that what we're talking about? So we're told, but we have we hardly know anything about it. Can, can we not believe the G, the rumors when they come straight from GW? <laughs> Maybe this whole game is going to be instead of Age of Sigmar, it's going to be something completely out of there. It'll be like, oh hey, ha ha, kidding, just kidding. <laughs> That'd be really good. Yeah, they barely say anything as it is, and then what they say is just. Completely wrong. Yeah, we just wanted to throw you a complete curveball. Instead, I could maybe see a. Never mind, it's not coming out this week. Thing possibly. But. <laughs> yeah, just kidding, guys. It's going to be another six months before you see uh, any changes to fantasy. <laughs> another forty k release instead. Yeah, yeah. Believe it or not, this is actually Warhammer twenty k. <laughs> <laughs> Uh oh, GW. So no, we we man, it's almost to the level of frustration at this point. But at least we do know that uh, on July fourth, pre-orders will go out for Age of Sigmar, and the eleventh we will actually be able to hold the product in our hands. Whatever that may be. Whatever that might be, models that might just be rules. That could just be a donation to Games Workshop. We don't know at this time, but we're all super excited for it. I don't, I don't know about you, Brian, but I'm excited for some kind of change. I, it's too much samey, samey. A lot of people just playing the same kind of optimized type lists over and over and over. I'm, I'm ready for a change. I'm ready to see something different on the table. Um, definitely excited for Age of Sigmar. Yeah, I wish it was more definite what to expect, especially when, I mean, our, our hobby investment is pretty huge if you're a avid Warhammer player, so that makes it seem very worrisome not to know what's coming. And we still don't really know what it is, but I read like a pretty good rumor thread today that uh, Stone Monk Eric had posted, he's been on the show, that he posted to Google from whatever site, and that was pretty interesting. But who knows? They're all just rumors. You don't know anything definite. Yeah. But, I mean, everything I've heard sounds interesting in some way or another. I mean, it's going to be a big shakeup for sure. But whatever it is, it's based loosely in the Warhammer world, at least. I mean, it's got to have something to do with it. So what it'll be we, exciting. Yeah, what we do know is it's going to pick up story-wise where End Times leaves off. So we'll find out what happened to that little glimmer of light, that little hand of hope. I think there's a ton of... Well, there's definitely a ton of uh, potential there, so... I don't know, it should, it should be cool. I mean, the end times was interesting, at least, even though maybe the, every little bit of the story wasn't that great, and everybody's kind of like, what the heck now, since it ended, but... Yeah, no, cool. I, 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 think, I think I speak for all of us Warhammer players that we really do wish the communication coming out of Games Workshop would be more than it is... Yeah. It's a it is a huge leap of faith, like, I think, for us as players to you know just kind of continue with our invest with our investment in Games Workshop and pray and hope that they don't uh, you know oh yeah by the way you need only twenty models worth round bases to play our game now and uh, haha and that's our normal game oh wait a minute I have I just played a game last night at Pegasus Games on Odana Road in Madison, Wisconsin, uh, that uh, I had 205 Orcs and Goblin models on the table. So, <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that's a huge change. But, so who knows? We're not, we're not here to debate rumors or guess what they're going to be. We just know that Age of Sigmar is coming, and we're excited. Yep, yep. From mo- the movie side of things, in Wisconsin or in the Madison area... Sun Prairie just had this super awesome new like theater open with these recliner seats. Oh, it's just like you can buy a beer and take it right into the movie with you. It's 
it's a moviegoer's almost dream. I mean, you know, the only thing better would be to have that screen and only have, you know, be able to just reserve that just for me and my friends. <laughs> you know, that would be the only thing better with, like, a kegger <laughs> and, and, like, a day worth of film. That would be, like, that would be the, that would be the bomb. But besides that, just going to, like, a normal movie-going experience, this is about as good as it's going to get. And we for went, sure. and me and my wife went to see Mad Max in 3D there, and I gotta say, I wasn't expecting a ton out of this Mad Max movie, but it was it delivered in so many cool ways. I, I was just... It's honestly probably my favorite film of that, like, May release cycle. Yeah, that's not hard to say. I guess I didn't really know what to expect going into it either. I feel like everybody's hype of it after it came out was a little above and beyond my own, which kind of turned me down on it a little bit, but it was definitely enjoyable. And it's... Yeah, I don't know. It's pretty cool. Even if you're not like a super avid fan of the Mad Max franchise or anything, I don't think that has much to do with it. It's a pretty good standalone and it's definitely a pretty exciting and movie, I guess. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It's a good movie. It wasn't it wasn't a reboot. It wasn't uh it was just kind of a standalone post apocalyptic car chase that happened to have Mad Max, but the story really didn't revolve around him. You know, they could have just called it post-apocalyptic car chase with a bunch of angry dudes. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. It was pretty cool, and, and it was. It was just a giant post-apocalyptic car chase with lots of stuff. You know, finally get to finally get somewhere just to find out that, oh, yeah, the rest of the world sucks, too. Um, which is exactly what you'd expect. It did exactly what it said it was going to, and it did it well. And then some. It's <laughs> a lot of then some. Yes. Yeah, 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 man! Spotlight. That was pretty lame. I will be the first one to admit that that was a kind of, it smelled stink with. Something that doesn't smell stink with. Dreadball! First impressions, Brian, what did you think about your first game? It was probably really just a demo game, so I don't know all the ins and outs of it, but I got to put some guys on the field, on the board, uh, move around, roll some dice. I think we had a general idea of what we were doing, and it seemed pretty fun. Like I kind of like the dynamic of it. I guess, I mean, there's a lot to be had yet for my experience from the game, but my general impression was pretty good. I mean, it was interesting. I don't think I got... I think the cards weren't a huge impact in the game we played. I think there's something more there. But, but, I mean, we played it pretty simple. I'm sure you could do a lot more with the cards than what we did. But And I think there's different versions of the game, too. I'm not really experienced in what the other kind of game modes or whatever you call it would be. But it was pretty fun. I mean, I guess all the mechanics worked pretty good. It's quite a bit different than Blood Bowl, so it's, it's not even really comparable there. But I liked it. Yeah, that was the thing I think I liked the best about it. Like, it does have a campaign system for, like, playing game after game after game and leveling up your guys, but it is a completely different game. The gameplay is so much different than Blood Bowl that they really are, other than being fantasy sports games, they're really different things. So in the game of Dreadball, you have three special types of guys that make up your team. You have a Strikers, which are your guys that are ball handlers. They're chucking around this ball at, I don't know, hundreds of miles an hour. It's flying around the stadium. And they're doing your... They're, they're running around, catching the ball, tossing it, trying to throw the, throw the ball into these little hoops that light up when you're in certain scoring zones on your opponent's side of the board. And then you have uh, Jacks. And these are general all... They're jack-of-all-trades kind of guys. They can score. They can throw throw hits. They're they're good at just... They're not really good at anything, but they can do everything. So they're kind of really key kind of guys because you even if you're, you know, if you're out of position with that striker you, you you have a jack in play, he can still do things. Maybe not quite as well as that striker, but he can still do it. He can still get in the grit and, and throw some blocks and, and free up your free up some guys too, so that's as good. And then you have guards, and guards are these big, burly guys, and they 
get in there and their sole goal is to either play defense and just knock somebody right out of the game or their goal is to go, you know, as you're going out for your scoring play, the bulldozer away and get the opponents out of the scoring zone so that your strikers can toss the ball into the hoop and score points. And then the neat, the, so this game is dynamic and really dynamic in the way that it never, you know, unlike like Blood Bowl or another similar games where, okay, somebody scores a point and then you have like a kickoff or some kind of reset of the game for the next scoring possession. It just, you score, your turn is done, the ball kicks out in the center of the board, and your opponent starts their turn. And yeah, that was definitely one of the coolest bits of it. The action just kind of kept moving. There was no, like, lull or reset or anything, and you always had to be thinking about it. Like, if you did make that score, that the ball's going to come out back in the middle there. So you had to be ready to go again on that part of the field as well. Yeah, you got to really be ready to go and play some defense. you got to be thinking defense at the same time. You're like, okay, I know I've got, like, these three moves I need to do to get this score set up. I need to set – I got these two moves – I'm going to move them first to set up my defense for my turn. Um, so you, you have a certain amount of activations a turn. You can activate each one of your guys up two times. Normally. Normally. There's some cards that allow you to do some extra activations. But if you take the cards out of it, you can activate each one of your guys up to twice. But you only have five activations per turn total for your entire team. And then it's your, and then it's your opponent's turn. There's a couple of triggers that will cause you to fail your turn such as failing to throw the ball or missing a score or something like that. Uh, And then there's uh, this great kind of component where instead of having, like, your score be, like, seven points and their score be, like, three points or something like that, instead, every time you score, if you score, uh, like, a three-point play, then the scoreboard would go up, like, three points in your favor. And then your opponent scores a two-point play, well, instead of instead of... Uh, them being, instead of it being three to two, it now, you just are a point ahead of them. Are, are, you're, it's a plus one point in your favor. So yeah. their, their score basically gets subtracted from your total score. Well, and then they turn around and score two points again. And it's now it's, uh, one point in your favor. Now it's, now it goes to zero and then one point in their favor. So the score track just kind of goes back and forth like, like that. At any point in the game, if somebody scores seven points, uh, total or has seven points total in their uh, in, in their favor, the game ends automatically. Otherwise, it goes for like sixteen turns. It goes the game goes relatively fast for a sixteen turn game. You're done with the game easily in an hour and a half um, once you've yeah. picked up the rules. Okay, I think ours was that. Like, we were just doing a demo, didn't really know the rules too well, and we still got through it really fast. So that's definitely kept. You definitely feel like it's a fast-paced game. Uh, really cool game. They went through, uh, from Kickstarter, they, I think they've had three seasons now. I think they've officially released. Then they've okay. got kind of this underground league uh, for Dreadball, like street, uh, Extreme Dreadball, I think they call it, which is really this underground kind of, you know, they, they don't play as clean, so they cheat, and they foul and do things more. It's, it's more brutal of a game, uh, apparently, and then they have uh, Ultimate Dreadball, which, which is really, instead of just being a two-player Dreadball, it's a special board that allows you to do, like, three or four or five. I, think, I don't know how many players can total play on an Ultimate Dreadball board, but it's a lot Sounds of players. Crazy. That can be, yeah, especially with the fast-pacedness of, of Dreadball, it's something that, a, like, a big multiplayer game like that, it, it's, like a, it's like a three-hour game. It's not like it's not like a game where, like, okay, I'm going to set up a five-player 1,500 points per player game of Warhammer, and, yeah, it's, that's going to be half the day, you know? Six hours later, you're probably still playing. <laughs> Super stoked for Dreadball. I'm trying to get a little more interest. Uh, there, there used to be a Dreadball League here in Madison. Trying to see if I can track down a couple of those guys and see if we can get some interest kind of going towards that game again, especially now that I've got one, two, three, four, five. I've got five teams now myself. <laughs> so, there, how many teams are there total? Like you guys had a ton. So I, I know with the season one, the original when Dreadball came out, you had the corporation, which is basically the basic humans, the 
uh, which is actually, you know, unlike, you know, a lot of games, basic humans are, are a pretty good team. Um, we have the orcs, they're, they're future orcs, uh, which were, which is kind of interesting because the orcs don't have, uh, strikers. And then you had the, basically the future dwarf team, which were just really tough, very similar to the human corporation, but just tougher guys that were slower. Generally, when a uh, there is a robot team that didn't come out, though, on Season 1. I think that was a Season 2 or a Season 3. The other team was the Vermkin with, uh, Season 1, which was the basically the, the rat team, the space rats. They're a very dynamic, interesting team. Overall, I, I, I give the, the games I've played, all of them. So I, I have, I've played against Vermkin now, and I've played against uh, the Dwarf team, and I've had... Uh, all of them have been fun, um, and I've all my game experiences so far with it have been playing the humans, the corporation, and I definitely feel even the games where I was getting kind of beat down, like maybe my guys were getting injured, knocked out of the game. I've always felt like I was still in it and still finding ways to be able to compete and score, being offensive, and then just trying to find ways to make it difficult for your opponent to score. Yeah, because scoring is definitely going to happen. Okay. So, I, I think that's enough dry ball. Uh, unless you've got any final thoughts? Not really. Like I said, I don't know too much about it, so I just kind of had a taste of it, and I would say it's definitely worth a try, so check it out. Def- you definitely, after your first taste, you definitely wanted more. Yeah, I think the game was a lot more interesting than the models were to me, too, so even if you're not like too crazy about those space models or whatever, the gameplay is definitely worth a shot. And there are a lot of teams out there now, so... Yeah, I choice. I think there are like 10 or 12 teams now just in the base Dreadball game, or in the in the normal Dreadball uh, universe, so... Uh, between the first three seasons. So there's a lot of things to, to kind of check out and, and try if there's... Or kind of go after to find the models that you like the best. Okay, let's move on to our main topic. So, what are we talking about now? It's been so long, I, I don't even remember what the heck we scheduled for a main topic for the show. <laughs> we haven't been going a while. Uh, if you can remember as far back as that campaign we had played for many weeks. You remember kind of way back whenever I think our last episode came out, I'm pretty sure we talked about kind of the planning of the campaign. Like, some of the random thoughts that were coming spewing out of my head as to how the campaign was going to be structured and work. Then if you were following the blog, you probably saw four or five weeks of blog posts out of me, and then that kind of stopped. (laughs) Largely because, to be honest, due to my injury, needing that surgery, I just kind of was getting to be real work for me to turn out and to participate, so I had to kind of step away for a few weeks and try to just recover and heal and deal with the injury, so... Um, yep. What, so, so, kind of talk about the campaign. It was a map-based campaign. Yep. Chaos was fighting to destroy the world, pretty much. Yep, basically. Following the end times. Yep, we ripped off the end times. <laughs> Eric put together just a, a gorgeous map for the campaign. I think that was the the number one thing that made... That's like the best homegrown map I've ever seen, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that single part turned everybody from... Oh yeah, it's a campaign. It's end times too. <laughs> Holy cow! I really want to play in this, and I want to do this. And so we we had some things that I think really worked in this campaign well. So I, from my perspective, one of the best things that I thought that worked it was team based, not player on player based. So you didn't have like, and I think what I mean by that is when you have player on player based campaigns and you're doing a map campaign, you kind of are restricted to what your land adjacent to, particularly with fantasy armies. Maybe if you add in some boats and shipping, you can do some things there, but otherwise you're really land-based. That means you're restricted to whoever you're adjacent to to be able to engage, whereas with this team-based, we were able to more easily pick different opponents on a week-to-week basis, which allowed us not to necessarily get land locked into, okay, this is week three, and I'm playing the same person again. That was definitely one of the biggest 
things that worked well for this map based campaign was that team mechanics, so you weren't facing the same one. And it was also a loose team, too, so it was just kind of based on who came out to the store that night. You weren't, like, really designated to play any games, necessarily, every week or anything like that. It was just kind of in addition to your regular gameplay every night. Yeah, and I think that also worked, because one of the things we were talking about when we got into the campaign was how do we bring back a little excitement? You know, there was a lot of negativity, with, particularly at that point with the with the ninth ed rumors flying around and stuff. Uh, how do you bring that some positive experience back to the, to the table and back to the store uh, to play and participate and stuff? So. Yeah, so and so I think that that kind of brought everybody kind of back to the store, brought some people, got some excitement going, and um, that's for sure. And then it brought out some of our regulars, and I know I was always inspired to get down to the store a little more than the usual to play another week of hard fought battles to try and do some good in the campaign. Yeah, and and, and it was. I mean, I I know from my own participation in the campaign. Because it was kind of a, it was a team thing. I didn't feel like I wanted to let the team down when I was playing my games either by losing or, you know, there was a little extra pressure. Uh, I think on each of the games, the games meant a little more. Um, so that made the, I, I thought that was kind of cool and special. Um, yep. It definitely made me more, I, you know, want to come down and play and participate more uh, from that. So those were those were definitely some really encouraging things. Um, from the campaign. Um, the, because of the way we themed this campaign, I do think we had a couple of challenges that came up that I think from our, from our original discussion, I don't think I planned out as well. And in hindsight, I think that if, if, if I were to do a campaign like this again, I would structure a little differently. And that was how the teams were built. Um, I don't know about you, but um, we started out and we've been destruction strong, chaos kind of strong at the store for players uh, over the last probably couple of years. And as soon as this campaign started, it was order out of the woodworks. Dwarfs and elves, and um, we had undead, I guess, lumped in there because of the because of the end times fluff. Um, and then you had uh, uh, empire. You know, we we would end up turning out with uh, like one or two chaos players, a uh, couple of ogre players, a skaven player, and then like five or six undead elf. <laughs> dwarf human players. It was kind of that made a challenge because it was always always kind of lopsided to order for the players. It was like, oh, well, I guess we'll lump the ogres over to the over to the evil side versus uh, versus being able to kind of uh, have the two factions bid off against each other for for some of those neutral players. Yeah, that would have provided a little more interest rather than, I mean, in our league, the yeah, the Ogres essentially just became flat-out destruction. Like, there was never even a choice there after, like, the first week or so. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, that's not a huge fault of the campaign. It was just a fact of, like, what players we happen to have. Uh, what do you think you would change? Uh, that, I, like, I, I, realized, I realized the campaign was set on the end times fluff. And so I kind of dictated things a little bit, but I think uh, in the future, if I were to do this kind of campaign again, I wouldn't so strictly theme the campaign off of that background and and allow the campaign to more dynamically let itself tell its story by allowing the players a little more ability to choose their teams and to choose their followings based on, you know, which team maybe is doing better or worse, but on some bonuses or, or tie-ins with their particular armies to allow 
each army to have a little bit more dynamic reasons for be participating and having reasons to do things for one one direction or the other than in the campaign, which would have taken a little more work than just choosing end times as the background, but it really meant that the campaign was themed around chaos, skaven, and order, and if you weren't doing one of those armies, like you were doing ogres or you were doing a couple of the other armies that are out there, it probably didn't lend itself quite as much to you dynamically, like ogres, orcs, and goblins. That kind of closed off any of our flexibility there, tying it to the end times, So, essentially. Yeah, I think the, you know, in hindsight, if I were to go back and kind of rework things, I would look at how do you, how do we give those other armies a little more flexibility to maybe choose like maybe, you know, even to the point where you're giving some of those order armies, at least from a fluff perspective, giving them a reason to maybe play on the other faction or play on the other team. I do think from a, a game mechanic, we did do a good job, though, with keeping it to two teams. I wrote the campaign kind of with four teams in mind, but we yep. kept it at two teams for our store campaign. And I think with the headcount we had turning out, which was about eight to... 12 people on a uh, Monday, uh, Monday night there, that, that worked out really well. Yeah, I think you would definitely need a lot more people if you're going to do all four factions, possibly. I guess, now that I think about it a little more, I do see the benefit if you did have more factions, like, there would be a little more flexible matchups there, like, if there would kind of essentially be some neutral players in there, like Undead, like because of the end times, I played as Order the whole time, so I was facing all the Destructions armies, and that kind of got a little old towards the end. I mean, we were playing a few different people, but still, like, Destruction kind of have a certain kind of flavor to them, so if it had been their own faction, like, you could face Order or just uh, or Chaos at any given time, and that could be a little more interesting for matchups, but it also provides a lot more complication, I guess, at the same time for so few people. Like, we had a hard time organizing just our two teams with the amount of people we had, so I think that was probably about the sweet spot. Yeah, I, I really like the way we, we structured choosing who was playing who, but at the same time, it kind of bogged the beginning of the night down. So, yeah, but we'd sit there and well, kind of go back and forth and whole hum like, who's going to be captain? Who's your captain over there? Well, Us. Yeah, like, that was a dumb bit we did with the order. We should have just had, like, I don't know, or emphasize that it didn't even really matter who the captain was. I guess there was those bonus points, but I feel like a lot of times those were kind of mutually decided, usually, and somebody just kind of had to make the final say on it, which was what the captain did, but the captain didn't really wouldn't really be that necessary for picking matchups and being that we didn't have a designated captain and had to pick that every week. That just caused, like, an extra amount of time to get the games actually going. Yeah. No, I, and I think for my first five weeks, it was kind of obvious who the chaos captain was and most of the time. Davey and I had that kind of challenge right before the campaign <laughs> started of who's going to be chaos, you know, who's going to bow down to who's chaos lord and... I beat him in that game, so I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be the big chaos honcho. Of course, then I lost my first week out in the campaign, but... Uh, and Davey never showed up for one week. <laughs> yeah, I, I, barely, I barely beat his chaos so bad they went back to the wastes. <laughs> On the destruction side, it was pretty. It was kind of expected. Like, okay, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to pick. Who is picking from your side? Yeah. You know? But, you know What's going on over there? Who do you got over there? Unfortunate um, delay. Rally the troops, and and it was since we had a huge time span with people would show up. It was kind of hard necessarily. Like, oh hey, we're like halfway through picking, and then oh crap, somebody else showed up. And like, if you have odd numbers and that, and like, hey, we're kind of expecting somebody. Like, you don't really want to get their matchup picked right away because then their opponent's just kind of waiting around. So we were trying to match up people who were coming late and stuff like that. And that was all kind of finicky i do think um that would be another thing the the coming late and whatever i i think we dealt with that pretty well oh well i think the thing that i didn't write into the campaign that i wish i would have would have been how to deal better with odd number of players how to set up that game better 
because we did do we did throw some triumph and treachery games in there, and they were kind of yeah, cool. Man, and, and yeah, we did a couple of two on ones, and they were kind of cool. We kind of ad libbed them, but I think like especially like I did a big, huge four thousand point two on one. Like that game should have been weighted a lot more. I I felt like than one of the other games because there was just so much more going on. You know, there was so many, more, so much more points on that table. It was twice the points in the, any other game. Yet that I know that night that I played that four thousand point game. Um, where I'm doing a two-on-one, we only counted it as one game for the total win-loss ratio with if there happened to be a tie, except that we had three games going on that night, so it was nearly impossible to have a tie, uh, <laughs> that that would have been the tiebreaker for the, for the side that won that game. Um, so it was kind of like 1.5 games, but not quite. Yeah, we probably should have weighted it double or something like that. But going in, you know, going into without having firm rules, we kind of ad-libbed it, and I think we did an okay job ad-libbing it, but it would have been, I think it would have been better, and it should have been something that was anticipated in the rules pack. So moving forward, I think we do a campaign similar to this in the future. That's something that we'll have squared away a little bit better in the rules pack. Yeah. What was maybe your best moment or game from a fun perspective that you had during the campaign I don't know that I really had a best moment. Like, the campaign didn't really tailor my games, per se, but probably the best thing that happened, albeit probably completely by accident, is the first few weeks of the campaign, like, I managed to get quite a few victories in there. I think my, like, first three or four matches were all victories in the get-go there, and Order was really struggling, so I was, like, the one player kind of pulling it through with the victories against Chaos, so that was kind of cool. I will say... It is quite amazing how good a single terror geist is against a nearly all cavalry warriors of chaos army. I, I'm just saying, I, I, I might as well not have bothered to show up playing against that because, short of you doing something really boneheaded, which you did in our first matchup, I think. There was no way I could just about beat beat that list because I couldn't that I couldn't pin down the terror guys. I'm like I could I could stall it, but at some point that terror guys was going to outposition me and then scream off like screaming off units of five guys when you're doing no armor save hits is really pretty easy to do. Yeah, <laughs> it's not I mean, that hard. And, you know, I, so... That's definitely pretty rough. I think you could have some stuff. I mean, Chaos could bring some stuff, I think, that could help against that a little more to kind of lock it down, but it's definitely one of the hindrances. But then at the same time, I feel like if I didn't have that, your Chaos are going to, like, just stomp me in combat, too, so... You know, if I can get there in contact here, you're probably in trouble. Yeah, so. exactly. So, so it, it, was, it was... I only have one. I didn't have two. Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, no, I was definitely definitely thankful for that. I think my highlight from, from the campaign honestly happened before the campaign even started. Your Lord and Off battle? That was, yeah, the, the Lord <laughs> Off game with Davey, who then never played in the campaign. But that game kind of set up the whole atmosphere, you know, I think from the Chaos side going in. And those first four or five weeks, you know, kind of going, were so much fun just because of that momentum and that uh, a bit of smack talk that had, been, that had been started because of that. But then that, you know, by, by about week five, that shine kind of wore off. And, and uh, for me anyways, and it got kind of, now we're back in the grind and I'm playing. And I will say this is the, the one thing that was frustrating was that I think by week five or six, we had kind of rotated through everybody. Just about everybody had rotated through. There was no rule that would prevent you from playing against the same person week after week. So we ended up after, like, there were some people that, like, okay, we, this week you played against the same guy, and then the following week you played against the same guy, and then finally we're like, okay, we kind of ad-libbed it, said, okay, you can't, Unless, unless it's like the last, 
matchup or two that's picked. They we, You can't match up the same guy on the same guy for like three weeks in a row. Did that happen that often? Uh, I think it happened a couple of times where people played the same person twice in a row. I thought we did a decent job trying to not make that happen, but maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I think Nick played Ben twice in a row, and I think Fred played Chaos Brian twice in a row. It definitely was occurring. And then as the campaign wore on, I think a little bit too, the headcount started to kind of go down a little bit. Like, we got into week two and week three. Our headcount, like, the first week the headcount was really good. We had, like, 12 people. And then, like, week three we had, like, six people. I, I, I know it came back there for week four and week five. And then I'm not sure after, I think it was week five or week six. I think we, I think I stuck out through week six. Yeah, I think you only missed the last two. I think it was just the last two that I missed. Yeah, unfortunately, like, our last two weeks were, like, really, well, our last week was really lame, and the seventh week wasn't too good either. Like, the there was some untimely holidays, and uh, the store did inventory, and ended up still being closed on the one Monday. And just that extra time in there where it was kind of at yeah. the end of the campaign, people were kind of ready to wrap it up and just kind of stretched it out. That yeah. kind of put a damper on things, unfortunately. Yeah, there was, what, the last two weeks, from, I think we only had, like, three or four of us there. From week seven to week eight, there was probably a three-week break, yep. <laughs> two-week break. And that was pretty harsh for the campaign's momentum. Yeah. And so. even more so, I guess... That kind of carried right over into planning the mega battle. We had a date set up that was pretty much right at the end of the campaign there. But then being that we didn't actually get to play our store weeks and then ended up being a lot of people also weren't available that day. It ended up being pushed out, and that's not until this coming weekend. And I think it's been two weeks now that the campaign's been done with. So lost some mojo from it, but I think we're still going to get it done. It should be a fun day. So. So it kind of brings us into the second half of the campaign. That's the one other thing I think from the rules pack perspective that I I'd like to go back and see if I can rework or change a little bit or or add something about mid campaign to kind of let the first half of the campaign kind of build up to something mid campaign and then let the second half of the campaign build up to something at the end of the campaign with that mid campaign event kind of helping dictate how the end of the campaign would go what what arc that would go. Yeah, that sounds like a good idea, just to so, get another big emphasis in there. So it would be not, you know, so it would be like four weeks and then boom, something fun, and then four weeks and then boom, something bigger. Yeah, that's a good idea. So kind of going into it that way, I think that might bring a little more excitement after the, like, oh, hey, we we control the ruins and we took the artifact, ha-ha, and then the second half of the week would be the other faction trying to besiege you or something, you know? Yeah. To try to take back the artifact for their own... We had a lot of bonuses for, like, the different weeks and that, like... Chaos ended up so far ahead in the victories and stuff like that. Like, they ended up getting a lot of, like, the negatives from the... Uh, like, the campaign rules, so... That was kind of... I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> I had a thought, but now I lost it. Yeah, no, it was definitely... It definitely got to be a point there. I think that was another thing that kind of burned me about week five, week six, was that the chaos had an early taken such a huge lead in the campaign and was doing so well that all of a sudden, like, the counterbalance to it was that you start handicapping the chaos players. Well, that started making the games, like, you still had the pressure to do well, but, like, when I could only bring 100 points and magic items to the table, you're like, oh, I got a forfeit of Dispel Scroll, and now I'm playing against Undead. Crap! You know, now he's raising at will, and he's, and he's flying around screaming at me with the terror guy. So it was just like the worst of all worlds. Like, how am I supposed to keep winning with this? Yeah, you were kind of bouncing off the governor there, and that was kind of rough. So, but it, but it was, I mean, it did a good job. It did exactly what it was supposed to, which was kind of, well, I don't even think it did exactly what it was supposed to, because I don't think that really was enough to balance things. I, well, it was enough. I think it was enough given equal players to balance things, but I'm not sure that we had equal skill players on both factions. Yeah, there is definitely, I think, some gimmies in there with our player matchups, and some of the people who are playing for destruction have kind of a whatever.
jumps that are just kind of one-trick things and really hard to get over, so that was kind of a drag, and that it was just chaos kept beating us over and over kind of thing, so a lot of people weren't really expecting victory in their games and stuff like that. It was kind of hard to be hopeful after getting beat week in, week out. I, I think early, some of that was uh, it was intended to, like, since it is the End Times campaign, the campaign was supposed to make Order feel like they were getting encouraged. I'm not sure if I structured that as best as I could have to allow for competitivity and fun at the tabletop. You know, that would be something, in hindsight, I'd like to, you know, uh, talk to folks and think, what, you know, see what they th- think we could have done better and maybe take the end times out of it and, and come up with our, our own story or fluff or something like if we would have done that and turned it into maybe a Border Princes campaign or something like that, uh, maybe they would have been, you know, where we would have been far more open with the ability to adapt the fluff to our needs. Uh, maybe that would have been uh, a better way to do it. So Yeah, I guess if there would have been a way to get, like, some special scenarios to play or something like that to balance it, where, like, to, uh, rather than, like, most of our... Um, balance things for when like somebody was getting really far ahead like we were saying were kind of list building things so that was kind of hard to see on the tabletop i mean it kind of impacted the games like you said like having low magic counts and low uh, points for characters and stuff like that but i don't think that was really as active as maybe like some certain kind of scenarios or something like that or objectives yeah. to take to kind of win something back I, I didn't approach scenarios, uh, and I'll be honest here, I didn't approach scenarios in the initial write-up of the campaign, largely because uh, I didn't, we didn't have opportunities to playtest through those scenarios and get a good feel for, you know, it's hard to throw, uh, be, having written scenarios for, like, tournament play, I've got a really good feel for how to write a, ba- for how to write a pretty balanced scenario at, at this point that I'll offer a fun game. But to try to write maybe a scenario that's going to be unbalanced or, like, put, you know, trying to balance, like, oh, hey, this is going to be a siege game, and now trying to balance the fact that one side has a fortress that they control or something like that. Like, those kind of things, I think you need to play test out a little bit before you just throw into a mechanic. It was easier to, okay, just say, oh, hey, if chaos controls 15 territories then they only are allowed to have 100 points of magic items and and that to be a balancing factor yeah definitely i mean your the write-up was already quite a lot of work especially being that you did pretty much all of it or whatever too so i mean that could be something yeah to add on later to a later version yeah, I, I think uh, moving forward, you know, for the for the next time, and I'd really like to see this something like this happen again for us locally, and kind of just expound on it. But the the whole rules pack, uh, we need to work uh, better at it as a group too. So I think uh, moving forward, if you guys are gonna out there in listener land are gonna try a campaign, you need to try to you know it's okay to have one guy do a lot of the work and write the rules pack and, and such. But you, you all need to, you know, step up in, in a way to provide feedback and what you think is going to be balancing or not balancing or what you think is going to add to your ability to have fun with the campaign. Because if you if you don't uh, speak up or read the rules pack or kind of understand what's going on, I think that drastically impacts you know, how much fun you're going to get out of the campaign as well. I guess to the people who didn't do it, I mean, it's their own kind of fault, but, like, the rules we had online and we kind of had to remember them in the store or look them up on our phones or whatever I think had we like printed some of the write-outs that would have like been easier just to like kind of have them right there like right next to our map or something like that so we could keep track of all the bonuses and there's plenty of people who are playing in it who didn't even really know what they were until like everybody else got there and told them kind of ahead of time yeah I, I definitely that night and there was plenty of like story elements you had worked into the reason for these rules or this event happened this week and stuff like that, and that's the reason for this rule. So they kind of missed out on a lot of that. Yeah, I definitely Which, think that would be a, a huge factor. Something we could have done better as well is just make sure the rules are posted. If for nothing else, if the rule we have this really cool map, and I'm sure I, I know that people saw this map when we weren't in the store and talked to the store like, oh my god, you know, told people that were employees of the store like, oh, this map is really cool, you know, what is what what is that? Uh, and if we would have had like a rules pack and, and maybe something that said Warhammer Fantasy on it, 
that would yeah. help maybe even garner some more interest from people that were not already playing at the store that maybe had never played at the store with our group. So, yeah, all things to kind of consider in hindsight. But overall, I, I think this campaign, you know, having not having been a campaign less drought in Madison uh, <laughs> for probably five or six years, this was really, uh, really cool, real fun. I had a good time with it. Uh, I think you, you know, kind of talking to you, you had a really good time with it, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. And it, we did actually finish it all out. I mean, that's kind of saying something, too. Yeah. So, yeah. Something to, happened there. <laughs> to finish a campaign is is always an achievement. It kind of had a set end to it, too, I think, was a benefit to it, too. Like, there was a set outcome that was going to happen yeah. in that time. Period. Destruction 1. <laughs> we don't know yet. We still have to uh, play that game. Destruction 1. I set this. I set this. I set this standard at the beginning of the campaign. Destruction wins, no matter what you do. Order, you lose. It's already written. It's in the book. Arcan wins. World world gets destroyed. But yeah, we had a good time. Saturday. <laughs> world still gets destroyed. Yeah. Anyways, fun aside. Yeah, I, I recommend strongly that if you're out there. Take a look at what we put together. I'll post, I'll post uh, the, the campaign rough rules, how we put them out, out there as part of the show notes here when I post the show. And you can check those out and hopefully come up with some great ideas for yourself and for your own campaigns moving forward. And maybe for ways that you can do things, maybe getting, helping getting Age of Sigmar launched at your stores. Good luck with that. Have fun. Let us know what you think. All right, so I think we've got one last little bit that we need to wrap up on here, and that's some listener questions that we had. We're not going to get too deep, I think, into uh, bolt action today, but most of the listener questions that we got were all bolt action orientated, which is, you know, for better or for worse, uh, it's cool that people are, are interested in uh, other games right now. I think that's really kind of partially out there because we're in this kind of lull of we don't know what's going to happen with Warhammer Fantasy and we don't know what's changing with our game so we're all kind of just like okay I've got this budget I've got this energy to hobby and play games and they've heard about Bolt Action and we've got questions. So one of the one of the questions that we got was uh, from Robert Elmer and he was asking if uh, what do we need if as a player to take to tournaments uh, for bolt action tournaments. Are there other, you know, special templates or markers or anything special uh, that you might need to, if you're interested in going to tournament play for bolt action? Having been to bolt action, uh, a bolt action tournament, I'm not a veteran of the, of the tournament scene by any means, but I went to Adepticon and played the bolt action tournament there. Just like any tournament, if you're going to, this is just general tournament advice, make sure you read any rules pack that's published for the tournament you're going to. to make sure that they don't have any requests like special objective markers that you need to build and have or what those sizes for objective markers need to be. Um, make sure that I would strongly recommend that you bring at least, uh, for bolt action, bring at least two sets of order dice in two different colors with enough order dice for your faction and a, and a bag for your order dice. Um, that way, if you end up playing against somebody that's got green order dice and you've got green order dice, that you can go, oh, hey, I also have red order dice in the bag. I'll just use my red ones. Yeah, there's um, even square and rounded ones now, which yeah. complicates it even more. <laughs> I, would, I would personally assume, you know, that the opponent, if, if you're bringing, the, so the square order dice are, are currently out of production, and have been for a while now. So I think it's safe as a player to just bring rounded ones, and those players that still have square order dice out there will bring, typically will bring round ones themselves. So if you do have those square order dice, go get yourself a set of the rounded cornered ones, because that's going to be kind of the expectation moving forward um, at tournaments. Or bring enough order dice of the square ones if you have them to cover, that should be able to cover both players. Of course, every tournament, you know, bring enough copies of your list for you and your opponent to have, for your opponents well, to have. Special rules. A lot of them are PDFs for some of the extra stuff, too. You should really probably have that printed out if you're going to field it on the table. 
Yeah. Uh, a copy of the I, uh, the Bolt Action Rules Index, the fan-mated rules index, I find, since the rule book doesn't have a, an index in it, I find is incredibly useful for fast lookup of rules. Something to flag or mark destroyed vehicles easily on the table, like just a pulled cotton cotton ball or something like that is, is simple enough. Those are kind of the things I think of. That are uh, Bolt Action specific. That are Bolt Action specific. Okay, so next question was really more in line. They're, they're just kind of general uh, general requests, and that's to see more bolt action in uh, in uh, general coverage. We got this both from James Wright and Davy Grove, so we appreciate your feedback and your interest in the game. I think uh, moving forward... There, there will be something extra coming from Wisco Dice for Bolt Action. Wouldn't you agree, Brian? Uh, there's probably bound to be. I mean, we're both pretty into it, so. What that shape of that is going to be, I think, at this time, Brian and I haven't had a lot of time to kind of talk together outside, really to kind of settle up what that's going to be. I've got a couple of other people that are... We're taught that I've been kind of talking to on the side, and with our podcasting experience, Brian and I, and having the studio here, Wisco Dice Studios, and, and Dugansdale Studios here, you know, already having the gear kind of makes sense to do something. But I don't know if that shape's going to be a different podcast, or if that's going to be just an occasional dedicated episode, or how that's how that's going to shape. But we're going. But I would not be surprised moving forward that you, that you are going to see something Wisco Dice orientated in your podcast feeds, or available as a separate podcast for you to indulge yourselves on the bolt action fun. I can t- say for myself, there are a couple of great podcasts out there for bolt action. You can go to boltaction.net. And, and find a great list of great podcasts that are currently out there and available for Bolt Action that do a pretty good job of covering the game. If you're like me, you got a lot of time to listen to podcasts. That isn't enough. That's not enough content. Not nerf, not Definitely not for me. And definitely coming from the U.S. side of things, I feel like we are... Very barren when it comes to bolt action coverage. It seems like we've got some great coverage kind of on the east coast, a little bit on the far west, northwest, and the uh, coast or uh, northwest uh, side of the U.S. Nothing here in the Midwest really that's not going out there. But we're gonna try to see if we can do something about that. So that's the best I can tell you right now. Hopefully that's enough to whet your appetite. I know it's not the bolt action coverage we're hoping for, but we're kind of out of time here. Brian, what do we cover today? What do we talk about, man? Uh, we talk Lay it out here for us. What? Lay it out here for us. What Lay do we talk it. about, buddy? All of it. All of it. All of the hammer. <laughs> News and rumors and what we had been doing lately. Uh, the bigger moments, we're talking about our gaming spotlight, uh, Dreadball. Go check that out. Great game. And then our main topic was uh, kind of a hindsight look at the campaign we had just played through. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And just some tips and tricks, what we learned that can maybe help you out. Definitely a lot of fun. So if you need something to wet your noodle there, <laughs> you can play a campaign for yourselves. As always, thanks for listening, folks. We really do appreciate it. Make sure you check out our, web, our website at wiscodice.com. You can go ahead and catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Google Plus, uh, we're available. Actually, we're we're doing this Google Plus kind of thing right now with a Hangout uh, to do the bring help bring this show to you. Always, you can catch us. Uh, you know, send send your feedback in. We love hearing from you. We love interacting with our fans, and we'd like to do that more. We're trying to bring more content to you, whether it's blog posts. Starting to get more serious about doing things with a video feed a little bit here. At least I am. We'll see if we can. I can get some some additional interest going. And like I said, we've got some rumors of other things that are coming, some other types of content that are coming, other war games that might be coming through the Wisco Dice family of podcasts. 
We're not really sure how that's going to take shape, but make sure you're following us and paying attention to the website because lots of stuff is coming. And none of this is rage quitting. So on that bombshell, we're out of here. Peace out. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-